It's summer in the markets, and while many people are off enjoying vacations with their spouse, family, or friends, many investors and short-term traders in particular are focused on the specifics of government data releases. What that means for future Federal Reserve monetary actions, and what that might mean for markets the next six to 12 months. I'm Chris Paris, Chief Investment Officer at Ocaris in Houston, Texas, and welcome to our weekly Stock Talk podcast. Before I get into this week's topic, dissecting last week's high print government CPI figure, please take a moment to click on the subscribe button and click on the notification bell so you'll be alerted when our team uploads our latest content. The government data is in, and the consumer price index jumped 1.3% in June, surpassing consensus calls for 1.1%. This was the largest monthly increase since 2005, and it spiked the yearly rate on CPI to 9.1%, the highest since 1981. One would think, of course, in short-term bad news as it puts more and bigger pressure on the Federal Reserve interest rate hikes on the table. With that dynamic in hand, this puts hope for a soft economic landing more unlikely. On this report last Wednesday, pre-open, the S&P 500 futures pajama traders, as Jim Cramer would call them, took the S&P 500 index down minus 1.7% and the NASDAQ heavy with tech stocks. It was down minus 2.5% before the regular trading session even opened. By lunch, tech stocks had turned green and were up half a percent on the day, and the S&P 500 had recovered back to 38.30, up 80 points off its lows, or about 2% in four hours. These are the moves that happen when future volatility is priced at 28 to 29 and a half 80 to 100 points intraday on the S&P 500 per day. That's not fun for anyone except day traders. The S&P 500 by Friday, it traded at 38.65 or about flat on the week. On to inflation data. So look at the table from BMO summarizing the categories of inflation for the month. Things in this report that are negative and slow to adjust to the downside. Number one is the high and still rising housing costs. Housing costs are about one-third of CPI. This number remains super high due to the lag effect of apartment rental rates trailing housing prices by months. Anyone whose apartment lease has expired recently and you're up for renewal, you've seen those increases by double digits, 10, 15% year over year. According to the CPI, rental rates were up 0.8% or over 10% year over year the most since 1986. And this current number probably understates versus true apples to apples comparison as the government has repeatedly changed official methodology every 10 to 15 years since the 1980s. While the overall housing market has clearly slowed over the last three months with a spike in mortgage rates, the shelter component in the CPI is slow to adjust downward to pricing. The second hit to consumer pocketbooks that's slow to adjust are medical costs. They too are up substantially year over year as hospital procedure rates reaccelerated and insurance companies are trying to recoup higher COVID costs. These costs from 2020 and 2021 are being passed on to consumers in the form of higher healthcare insurance premiums and procedure costs. While the headline for June CPI were bad, there are some positive signs behind the scenes that inflation rates are starting to peak, albeit slowly. Jim Cramer even did a 10-minute segment on his Wednesday show on the data. There's a link in the description below 
to that video for those who are interested. Soaring energy costs, including gasoline, accounted for over half of the month's rise in the CPI. However, on a positive note, unleaded gasoline prices are already down minus 27% in the four weeks since the beginning of June. In fact, gasoline prices now sit back to where they were at the beginning of March, and they're approaching a three-month low. The price of natural gas, a common component of summer air conditioning bills in southern United States, and a point of massive hardship in Europe this summer? Well, that's dropped almost 45% in the last six weeks. This means it's given up almost all the Russian-Ukrainian war spike. We've had a few prospects ask if living in Houston, if we were heavily overweight energy and commodity stocks this year, due to the strong supply-demand dynamics and all the positive media coverage on those groups. My answer has been, no, we weren't. Why? Two things, demand destruction and nothing cures high commodity prices like high commodity prices. I've had a few others ask me directly do we trade commodities like natural gas for our client accounts? To which I answer, not in my life or with your money. There's only one John Arnold in this world and I'm not him. Folks, there's a reason they call trading natural gas as a speculator and not a hedger or producer, the widowmaker. Almost all other commodity prices have crashed in the last three to four months. All of them have given up most, if not all of their gains from the last 12 to 18 months reopening demand price spikes. They've come down. Most all of these commodity prices have given up most, if not all of their gains from the last 12 to 18 months from the reopening demand price spikes. I can't find a metal price that isn't down more than 50% since the price highs in late first quarter of the year. Copper, down minus 35%. Iron ore, minus 25%. Steel, rebar, minus 35%. Nickel, which had that massive short squeeze a few months ago, it's down minus 55% and now flat on the year. Most of us shopping at the grocery stores or dining out at restaurants will notice that food costs are running high. The data says that year over year, those costs are up double digits. The good news, the components of our food costs, grains and transportation, those costs have started to head materially lower in the last two to three months. Wheat has gotten creamed and wilted, minus 45% from its Russian highs. If prices stabilize around here, that component will become immaterial come August to food inflation, as it will be flat year to year. For what it's worth, the price of both soybeans and corn are already up only 5% and 0% respectively year over year. Those price trends look much lower from here, which would send these components into the deflation camp down year-over-year year zone in a few months. Much was made in the press about the historic run in freight shipping costs in the fourth quarter of 2021 and the first quarter of 2022. As recently as four weeks ago, President Biden called for the passage of new regulations to levy on the world's top ocean shippers. He said, the ripoff is over. He called on Congress to crack down on foreign-owned shipping companies from raising their prices while raking in, his words not mine, 190 billion in profit, a sevenfold increase in one year, Biden said. Well, we all know that shipping companies did not make 190 billion in profit in 2021. 190 billion in revenue for the year? Sure, but profit? Not in your life. Not a chance with marine diesel fuel running as high as it is. And second, 
Take a look at the chart on the widely followed Baltic Dry Index. It's called the BDI. The BDI index provides a benchmark for the price of moving major raw materials by sea. The index is a composite of three sub-indices that measure different sizes of dry bulk carriers. The largest ships move coal and iron, and the smallest move grains like wheat. As you can see from the chart in this index, it's fallen minus 65% since the peak in fourth quarter 2021, and it now sits at the same level it did pre-COVID in 2019. That's not inflationary. While still high, the cost to ship a 40-foot container from China to the Port of Los Angeles is down minus 40% year-to-date. Even more telling, those costs are flat year-over-year, and it's about to go negative versus a 12-month comparison. That is not inflation material. Technically, that's approaching deflation. With this higher-than-expected CPI print, the odds of a larger than 75 basis point Fed rate hike on July 27th went up materially. A 75 basis point move in July would put the overnight Fed funds rate at two and a quarter percent. Another 50 basis point hike is almost guaranteed for September. These moves sent short-term yields higher and long-term yields lower. The twos to tens yield curve inverted further Yes, this inversion has historically been an ominous sign for the economy in predicting recessions. I get it. We first previewed the yield curve dynamic over a year ago when almost no one else was. But to me, as an investor, not a trader, the question to me is, now what? Do I panic as an investor or do I try to look forward and think about where the economy and the markets will be 6 to 12 months from now, given valuations are much lower and the masses are finally talking about an economic slowdown or a recession? Do you skate to where the puck was, or do you try to skate to where the puck will be in the first quarter, in the first half of 2023? History tells us that stocks do a lot of repricing work in front of recessions because stocks anticipate slowdowns. They anticipate peak revenue growth. They anticipate peak margins. They anticipate, are things getting as good as they get? Is it a peak on marginal return on cash? Likewise, Stocks also anticipate troughs and fundamentals and economic momentum in front of the worst of the data. If you look at recessionary contractions as the worst economic data we can have in the market, here's Ben Carlson's work on what happens to the stock markets before, during, and after every recession since World War II. Where things are likely to have settled down out in a few quarters in the back half of 2022? Are things leading to bottoms in the economy and the markets slowly revealing themselves. The PPI, excluding energy costs, or the producer price index, which measures prices received for final products, will it drop from 6.8% in May to 6.4% in June. Recall that energy prices, as measured by unleaded gas, have fallen another 22% month to date as of this filming. Jobless claims jumped to 244,000 last week. That's the highest level since November of 2021. This is a sign that the jobs market is starting to weaken. Over the second half of 2022, this should slowly relieve some pressure flowing through to wage and hours work data and pressure inflation lower, not higher. Our thoughts later in 2022 and the first half of 2023, as we've thought all year, we can be back in that low growth, lower trending inflation, boring economy mode. That's 
Not too hot like the first half of 2021, and not too cold like the first half of 2022. Remember, opposite of those two time periods, both fiscal and monetary stimulus are now working against inflation. Wage pressure is likely to dissipate as the stimulus sugar high ends. This alone, along with negative wealth effect of lower stock prices in the first half of 2022, should contribute to a reversal in one of the core inflation drivers in the US, the housing market. If you combine lower commodity prices with a looser job market, you get closer to just right and balanced. You get closer to GBTB. What's that? You get back to boring. And we all know financial markets love boring. In that environment, the stock markets would reward consistency and predictability, along with, for the first time since late 2021, that would be the same forward volatility peaks. An investor would feel more comfortable about the prospects for 2023 for companies with less pristine balance sheets. You might consider flipping this year's winners and losers and being long or at least overweight the first half of 2022 losers. You should start searching for higher organic growth industries, including technology and consumer discretionary. While still searching for a balance, the markets would move away from hiding out solely in utilities, staples, and healthcare, and it would start to move back towards companies with more earnings leverage for every revenue dollar. Remember, the market cares about marginal. Are things going to get better marginally or worse marginally? Are energy costs going to be higher or lower? Is the dollar peaking or is it trending? Are shipping costs increasing or decreasing? Labor costs accelerating or topping out? Those are the questions to keep at the front of your mind as you review future government data reports or read up on our economy throughout the summer months. Our team here at Oak Harvest knows that the first half of 2022 has been a trying time for those in the equity and bond markets who are not trading oriented. The Oak Harvest team knows that sharp market moves drive emotions and the urge to make changes to what are supposed to be longer term asset allocations work through with your advisors. If your ongoing market volatility is making you feel uneasy, give us a call and schedule a meeting with an Oak Harvest advisor. Our team does have insurance-based tools that don't have the volatility of public markets. However, I remind you that these investments may also lower your long-term expected returns. At Oak Harvest, we think our clients are best served by us helping them plan for their future needs instead of focusing on the past. The future in the stock markets are always uncertain, and that is why our retirement planning team plans for your retirement needs first and your greed second. Give us a call here to speak to an advisor and let us help you craft a financial plan that meets your retirement goals. Call us here at 877-896-0040 and schedule an advisor consultation. We are here to help you on your financial journey into and through your retirement years. I'm Chris Paris, and from the whole team here at Oak Harvest, have a blessed weekend. All content contained within Oak Harvest Podcast expresses the views of the speaker and is for informational purposes only. It is based on information believed to be reliable when created, but any cited data, indicators, statistics, or other sources are not guaranteed. The views and opinions expressed herein may change without notice. Strategies and ideas discussed may not be right for you, and nothing in this podcast should be considered as personalized investment, tax or legal advice, or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Indexes such as the S&P 500 are not available for direct investment and your investment results may differ when compared to an index. 
Specific portfolio actions or strategies discussed will not apply to all client portfolios. Investing involves the risk of loss, and past performance is not indicative of future results.